I need the greatest basketball shoe that's ever been made. Who's the player? Michael Jordan. Your motor <laughs> and we're back. That's my version of the Michael Jordan song, but I didn't want to get a copyright strike, so I decided I'd do it by mouth instead of uh, playing the recording. That's of it. your Alan Parsons project. Yeah, that's my Alan Parsons project. I, I couldn't. Re- I. I I was like, oh, is that John Tesh? And I was like, no, Tesh did NBA on NBC. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is what you're in for. Welcome to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. Uh, I am your co-host, Mike One. That is co-host also, Mike. We are talking about Air, the new Amazon feature starring Matt Damon and Ben Affleck that uh, was just released in studios. We're doing a full Oscars profile review of said movie, and it's kind of tickling our fancies, Mike, because we always say that we're sports talk radio for movie fans, but we're, we are that because we're also diehard sports fans. We are, and perhaps the NBA is our favorite sport. Mm-hmm. We, we've mentioned this many times. It's probably... Well, I talk about the NBA. You talk about the NBA as long as it has to do with the Knicks. That's correct. Yeah, okay. However, <laughs> like it's the sport we are least good at, I would say. Oh, right? yeah. Oh, yeah. We're, <laughs> even though you're tall, you're still... Mm-hmm. You're not very mobile. Mm. And even though I'm slow, at least I'm short. And I think... I think this is like this is this is a fun episode for a lot of reasons. It, it's a fun episode because, uh, you know, in, in my case, I was a diehard Knicks fan, and when I was coming online, Michael Jordan Jordan was whooping the Knicks Killing you. every year. Yeah. and I was like, "Thank you, sir. May I have another? <laughs> Thank you. May I may I buy your shoes now, please?" And I realized <laughs> this last night, like the, the 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 sickening feeling I have watching this man's life story and just just disgustingly happy over it yeah, again because i because i loved uh the last dance on yep. netflix loved it so it did was you. great yeah and and here i am knowing full well that this man tormented my every single night watching basketball when i was seven through 12 years old correct correct he uh, and he took joy in it too. Like there was a sick, there was a perversion not only of Michael Jordan but like the media of talking about him and the the whooping he did specifically in Madison Square Garden, which he still holds records in uh, in Madison Square Garden. Yeah, so uh, you had to deal with that <laughs> growing up. But uh, it, it, Michael Jordan is the man of the hour, and he it is his shoe that is at the centerpiece of this movie. Air the movie about the obtaining of Michael Jordan by Nike in the mid-80s to basically, uh, if not save, then at least reinvigorate Nike and kind of change the entirety of the shoe game and the sponsorship deal and media kind of a little bit in general going forward from there on out as we know it today even. Uh, If you've not joined us before for an Oscars profile review, it's been a minute since we've done one of these. You get two reviews for the price of one. Uh, the first half of this episode will be all non-spoiler. We'll go through the bo- box office, projected box office. We'll go through the plot premise. We'll go through the performances in a non-spoiler way. We'll hold everything up to an Oscars lens, the uh, the composition, the production values. There will be a spoiler warning in the middle of the episode, and the second half will be all spoilers, all ins and outs about the plot. So if you've not seen the movie air yet, don't worry. We will not spoil it for you in the first half of this episode. You are in a safe space. Uh, where do we want to start this journey, Michael? Well, let's uh, let's get into like the receptions of it. And I just want to open up because you kind of went over the cast and crew for a minute there. I want to open up mentioning that this is the first of what hopefully is many products 
by Artist Equity. This is Ben Affleck and Matt Damon's new production company. And uh, it seems like this movie is a thesis statement for them in many ways. <laughs> Affleck was the director on this. Mm-hmm. And not to get into this production company, but like he, I found myself watching this. I really like Ben Affleck's directing. Yeah. Well, he's made a lot of movies that have been in our wheelhouse from The Town and Argo, obviously, to... Uh, I keep forgetting he gone, did The Town, too, yeah. Gone Baby Gone. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I, I mean, he's really almost got, like... I mean, he's not up there with Tarantino yet or anything or Scorsese, but like he's really got like a signature style that you're watching something. And you're like, oh, yeah, this is this is a Ben Affleck movie, which I found myself thinking in the in the interim of watching this. But I wonder if that production company is going to be specifically for Ben Affleck helmed projects, too. Yeah. It, I mean, think about think about Argo. Argo, they drive around Budapest. Right. And that's the most suspenseful scene of the middle of that movie. Like the principal characters, they drive around Budapest. They get on a plane, they mm-hmm. leave. Yeah, and that is the most <laughs> best picture, <laughs> thrilling film ever because of the way he directs that darn thing. And he's you got a lot the of the same about this. Yeah, they he's take got a lot a of the same people here. <laughs> they take a meeting. <laughs> they sell a guy on something. <laughs> well, it's funny because Sonny Vaccaro is interviewed, and we're going to talk about that throughout the episode. And and they're like, "Well, was anything left out?" And he's like, "No, it was five meetings." <laughs> this whole story was five meetings and they went over all five meetings they actually left he's like oh they actually left one out it was on a beach and you know we brought in bill packer the great announcer <laughs> billy packer was part of it huh all right yeah. and he go. was like the cinching of the deal because uh phil knight was like well should we go after michael jordan and billy packer's like i've known jordan and you know for a decade or whatever a decade and most competitive kid ever or whatever and deal was done after that there you go. All right. So Billy Packer was the icing on the cake that was left out of this movie. Uh, Air premiered at South by Southwest this year on March 18th. It did get rave reviews. 75 Metascore, 92% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes on 233 reviews right now. Uh, the audience reception has been pretty equally as high. 7.8 on IMDb, 98% on Rotten Tomatoes, and A Cinema Score. Uh, it didn't lead the box office this weekend because Super Mario Brothers is going to crush everything at the box mm-hmm. office probably for the next few weeks as well. Oh, That's yeah. out to a 377 million worldwide gross, 204 million take in the U.S. But Air did surpass projections. At least the box office for Air was 20.2 over the five day. Uh, another 10.5 added overseas. That's a 30.9 worldwide gross thus far on what is listed at a 70 to 90 million dollar budget. So clearly, this box office weekend was stupendous, and clearly, the fact that the Air box office went over projections because the projection was 14 million and it grossed 20 and and that's 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 positive. However, 30 million dollars on a 90 million dollar budget in its first week is not great, Mike. No. So everybody's treating this and we were talking about it in the pre-show. Everybody's treating this like just the the biggest hit around because of its reception. However, I'm a little confused because typically that math doesn't line up. However, is this a new brand of math? Because this one, this one was slated to just be an Amazon Prime streaming mm-hmm. release, and maybe they don't need to make a, back everything, and they're happy to make a hundred million on this thing all in, and then they could uh, put it on Amazon Prime, and they're thrilled to have it on Amazon Prime. I don't know. I'm really confused by this. Yeah, like were they gonna put? $30 million into marketing of this anyway to have it like hyped up on their streamer and if so then 
Does that mean any money they get from the, this is the point you were making. The pre, does, does that mean any money they make from theatrical, which they weren't going to do, is just icing on top of a, a cake already? Or mm. I what? ate a lot of cake this last weekend. I don't know about you for Easter. <laughs> I had a couple slices. <laughs> <laughs> it was good. Uh, but you're you're mentioning the fact that. There's there's a budget that's listed, but there was also like this acquisition price where they basically announced the financing of Air back when it was supposed to be a streaming play, and Wikipedia has that listed as 125 million. Uh, the marketing is is listed as 40 to 50 million, and we know they spent seven million dollars on a Super Bowl commercial uh, included in that price. Mm-hmm. So we're really in the dark about the. The input, you know, the, the what's up front here. We don't know the price going in, and we don't know what what they need to make coming out. We're very in the dark on that, and I'm, I'm curious as all hell because this could be a changing set of economics for the industry going forward, especially if you factor streaming and you factor those beyond windows, those later windows, I should call them, uh, into the equation. I, I mean, we saw last year, just in the last Oscar season. Films kind of get their nose turned up at because they were considered financial flops at the box office. I mean, Babylon is is one of the things that comes to mind immediately. Like this one is not. If it does thirty million worldwide on its opening, that's gonna like, twenty million is like maybe sixty million for the domestic gross total of worldwide, maybe a hundred and something. You know, that's not great. On if if the budget does do 90 million that's probably a money loser until it does hit streamers in the secondary market yeah that is a money loser if you're just basing basing it on all the old math right on the old math so and i wonder what the difference is between like so do we just consider everything a hit now as long as the studio says first well we were going to put it on streaming first originally and then we didn't (laughs) like does that does that automatically change everyone's view of what what the finances are as long as the studio says this was going to be a streaming exclusive but now it's not (laughs) The exclusivity is the thing, isn't it? If this movie stays in theaters for three months and it plays well with long legs and it ultimately makes, I don't know, 150 and then it's on on Amazon Prime getting high traffic, everybody's happy, right? Because then you made most of your money back and then you, you, you actually make it worth your money on streaming. However, if this movie is going to play like just a straight up theatrical release, it's a money loser. <laughs> it has to be unless unless they got paid way? up unless they got paid up front like a streaming movie like everybody got paid up front isn't like it a, a money loser movie. either way or what like what am i missing about this math well what you're missing is the subscriber numbers that go to amazon right, right? but everybody's those... subscription fees pays for this ultimately but aren't those there anyway that doesn't have anything necessarily to do with air well, if you're feeding your beast that is your streaming service and you're spending responsibly and you're putting money in and you're getting those continual fees, you're basically keeping eyes on your product and you're keeping those subscriptions. So that's worth it to Amazon to sure, put original Sure, but my, my, the, the easy counter question there is how many subscribers are staying subscribed because air is coming to the, to the streamer? You know, I don't think it's any. I mean, if you ask questions like that, I well, that, I, I mean, it's unanswerable. Well, I, I think that, I think but... it's a lot. I, I mean, I, I think it's a lot to be truthful. I think it's a lot. You because think people are sub- you... staying subscribed to Prime because Air is coming? You have to stay subscribed to a streaming service for reasons, right? Now, what are those reasons? You, those reasons are your shows. Those reasons are because they 
they put a ton of movies on there. Like right now, I, I'll be honest with you, I'm subscribed to all these streaming services, and I'm 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 having a hard time parting with some because I know certain movies are coming or I know a, a, a TV show's coming. It's that simple, Mike. I would so, argue that you're in the minority. I'm probably in the minority, but if you watch your streaming service continuously, you're less likely to give it up. I no? agree with that notion. I would so, also counter with the the idea that um some you know I have I was in love with HBO Max when it debuted. I have not touched HBO Max considering what Zaslav has done to it and some of the, the programming that has left. I think I watched the menu like last November or October whenever it hit and that was maybe the last time I turned on HBO Max until this past weekend. So you're probably on the rocks with HBO Max, truthfully. But I don't know that I'll ever cancel it. Like it's just going to be there. I, th- I like I think I think that's the hook with the streaming with a lot of people is just laziness. Perhaps it's like a and, gift certificate in that way, but yeah, unused I, one. I mean, I I, 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 I would, I would wonder, <laughs> I would wonder how, who's right there? Like, how widespread is the notion that the, something like Air is going to keep viewers invested? The irony of two guys about to talk about a business movie absolutely falling over ourselves, <laughs> so, trying to it, understand the ba- the base fundamentals of the streaming well, business. It's, it's interesting, like, the, pers- the differing perspectives that we both bring to it, no? You, you have to make content for your streaming service. I agree with that. They have to. Sure. And the, sh- the content made for your streaming service has to be watched in order for, and it has to be liked in order for people to want to stay subscribed. Most people, right? I am the, I am on, one end of the spectrum for sure. You're somewhere on the spectrum as we... Uh, <laughs> a couple uh, spectrums, uh, maybe. And well, uh, you're somewhere on this spectrum as well. We don't know where because you're mm. a weirdo. You have grudges. And... <laughs> anyway, we don't... But but if people are watching and liking a movie on your streaming service, that's what they want at, all, sure. at Amazon, right? And they're sure. willing to pay up front a, bu- a, a big budget. They were willing to pay $125 million before they even knew they were going to release it in theaters. Yeah, I just don't get the math. I just don't. I I wonder what the what's the dollar amount like. What's the number that Amazon puts on these movies per like that make it make it worthwhile for them? I don't know that we'll ever know that. Obviously, they're never going to open up their books. Why would they? I think they have a lot of metrics that sure. they're clearly using to to gauge these things, and we're not privy to those metrics. We also we also don't know what additions they're getting to subscribers. Uh, to, in terms of subscribers for each premiere. Sure. I, I mean, that's and that's the stuff. That's the only way we would know for sure, like how they come down to, and them and any streamer, by the way. Mm-hmm. But all that said, uh, Avatar 2 sucked. Plot premise for this. <laughs> <laughs> this follows the history of shoe salesman Sonny Vaccaro and how he led Nike in its pursuit of the greatest athlete in the history of basketball, arguably of all time. That's my addition there, Michael Jordan. Mike, going into this, what did you expect and what did you uh, want to see from this, maybe? Look, I was on the record. I thought the marketing was cheesy. Mm-hmm. I thought I thought the joke about we bought a shoe, the we bought a zoo marketing right. was funny, but yeah. also like on point. And I thought we were in for a cheese fest. I thought they would bungle all of the sports analogies. I was not confident in what they were going to show us. And, and yeah, the exposition dumps are brazen, but they, they worked for me. I am thrilled to be proven wrong in this instance. Yeah, they actually added stakes beyond just 
will this megalomaniac conglomeration company <laughs> land this once in a generation superstar that we know the answer to already, which I was impressed by too. I did not expect this to actually like have emotional investment in the, uh, the way that it did, which was a nice touch. And I think like, uh, I'll go back to what I started with. Uh, ben Affleck probably deserves, you know, beyond the benefit of the doubt as a director at this point. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I just wonder, I just wonder how much this audience has to have staying power for this to be successful uh, in terms of the, like you said, the $50 million in marketing or whatnot. Uh, but I had two very satisfied audiences, Mike, and I, I heard that satisfaction. I went uh, for the first time on Wednesday night, very crowded uh, in terms of the whole movie theater, never mind the 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 individual theater I was in and I tweeted it out like so many people were audibly saying they loved the movie that was great right after the screening uh, was over to the point where I I just kind of lingered around I wanted to see how many people were going to say it Mike and I counted five five people which is unheard of that's awesome Uh, I my theater wasn't full by I mean the movie theater in general was packed with Kids and families. I mean, Mario is going to do a bazillion dollars, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, My theater itself for air, it wasn't full, but it was like maybe a little less than half full. And as soon as the credits hit, I had to go to the bathroom. So I got up and right away and I went out. But I was the first one to move. Everyone else was still glued to their seats through the credits. And in the credits, you're getting, you know, the the Nike commercials. I want to be like Mike. You're getting Michael Jordan highlights and stuff like that. So there is reason to sit there and watch. But nobody was quick to get up, I noticed. Yeah, last night. I went back for a rewatch, and the whole row b- below me broke out in applause. Oh, good! After the film, and the rest of the theater. I hate that, to- but good. <laughs> I, I, right? <laughs> How dare they? No, it's like the progressive commercial. Nobody in the nobody yeah. is here that made the movie. Ben Affleck isn't behind you. You know, you don't have to. <laughs> but I, look, I'm thrilled coming out of this movie twice. It got better on rewatch for me, which was which was something I wasn't sure about because like, is air going to become rewatchable in a similar way that we, we talk about Steve jobs or Moneyball, you know, with all the behind the scenes business dealings, uh, you know, adjacent to, to, you know, whether it's sports business or, or high, high level uh, tech, yeah. like with Steve jobs. And I'm, I'm just wondering where this movie kind of ranks in, in your favorites list as of now, I, I know you really like it, but is this like, do you feel about Air the way I felt last year about Top Gun Maverick? No, because I, I don't want it to be personified so I can wet it. <laughs> so no, I, I would. I totally yeah, I know you would. You guys, you guys know. <laughs> yeah, I would. yeah. So no, it's it's a high. I mean, I'll give it away. It's it's a B plus all day for me. And I came out of the theater. I'm probably a little more soured on it thinking about it afterwards than I was in the moment. But that probably also is a credit to the directing and the actual story hooking me in as it did uh, in the moment and watching it. But like I said to you, leaving the theater, like why wouldn't this compete for best picture? I don't. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, just looking at this past year is what we just finished with the Oscars best picture list. I mean, obviously, this is above Avatar, but this is like I could put this on the level of an Elvis or on the level of a Banshees, which I think I gave a B and a B plus to respectively. So I don't know why this wouldn't. I mean, unless we're going to get 10 movies that are slam dunk better than this, which I we didn't last year. I'll say that for sure. I would agree with you on the last year front. I'm still very bullish on this upcoming year, mm-hmm. and I think there's more product in movie theaters this upcoming year. That being said, we always get overhyped 
We <laughs> we Every always year. do. Yeah. And we'll probably do it to ourselves because we just spent, like like I said at the top of the, sh- of the show, a disgustingly optimistic <laughs> few weeks just mm-hmm. gushing over all of these potentially great movies in our year, our Oscars year and preview series that we've yet to finish. Mm-hmm. But we are really excited about this movie going year for a reason because every week it seems like there are eventized, you know, incentivized reasons for us to be at the movie theaters. And this coming out in April, a movie this good coming out in April is, is refreshing considering the last few years that we just went through. And, and last year they were, they were getting back to it. We got some good movies out last year at this time, everything everywhere, all at once, etc. But like, this is exciting, man. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that's uh, a point I brought up a couple episodes ago. I wonder how studios are going to view this kind of new calendar because, you know, I think Dumpuary might be a thing of the past. Well, it was weird. And we, we got to ask Eric about it because Dumpuary used to be a, a thriving box office uh, period for all of the Oscar best picture contenders, right? all those movies would keep playing in theaters. And yeah. then all of a sudden, like eight out of the 10 movies are, are available at home. And there's only maybe one or two movies still in theaters at that time. And then you get opportunistic production companies and distributors putting a Meg in there, putting a, you know, the, the, the Shyamalan movie right. there. Right. And that's been happening the last couple, you know, uh, you know, the last four or five years, I would say. So I think that has to do with some windows. I'd be curious to hear Eric's opinion. But like this, you know, this movie playing well now could mean something to the Oscars best picture business models going forward. Like, because if you get another best picture nominee coming out this early right. and doing well this early, that's going to matter. We And we've seen it as a trend even before but it ha- as we're going to say it has been trending in that direction i mean obviously get out is the one that sticks out most in my mind black panther yeah. black panther yeah so Everything i mean it's, it's it's been trending that way so it, it is kind of an evolution of the uh release calendar let's get into the uh direction some script thoughts and the overall composition of this movie mike so it's fun to do some background research. Ben Affleck apparently met with Michael Jordan before filming. Jordan insisted that Howard White be involved with the production, and ultimately they landed on casting Chris Tucker in the Howard White role. So that was fun. The script was written by Alex Convery. This was his first at least purchase screenplay. Uh, The script for air was on the blacklist, which is a list of best unproduced scripts that is, you know, thrown out there to the trades every year. And and Convery actually went and and spent two days. Apparently Sonny Vaccaro recounts the, the, the two days that Convery spent with him and a full day was just, the screenwriter peppering him with incessant quote unquote, particular (laughs) questions nonstop. Unquote. <laughs> uh, I think it was on Kimmel. It might have been Colbert, but I think it was Kimmel where Affleck was talking about this movie and the meeting he had with Michael Jordan. And he brought up the point that Jordan said, you know, first of all, Affleck said, if you don't want this movie to be done, we won't make it. And Michael uh, immediately gave the OK. He said, I think it's a great story and it mm-hmm. lends itself well to cinema. And they said, you know, who do you want us to concentrate on? Who do you think needs to be part of the story? And he said there were two names that Michael brought up. One was Howard White, which was the Chris Tucker role that you already talked about. And the other one was George Raveling, which is the character that Marlon Wayans plays uh, in, the, uh, in the bar there. And uh, it was funny. Another little anecdote. He was like, 
who do we want to, he kept talking, Michael kept talking about what a pivotal figure his mother was in all this. And Ben Affleck was like, well, who do you want to play your mother? And he was like, before I could even finish the question, it was like, who do you want to play? And he was like, Viola Davis. So <laughs> Michael Jordan gave uh, Viola Davis right. his blessing there to play the role there of uh, Dolores Jordan. I did, you know, I did hear that story as well. That's, I love that. Uh, in terms of the editing, we had William Goldenberg, who is the Oscar winner from Argo. He's also been nominated four other times. And you got a lot of a lot of film editing highlights in this movie because there's documentary footage cut into the film. Two stupendous montages, Michael. One to start the movie, the other in the in the in the penultimate great scene or sequence in terms of the big meeting the big meetings of the movie the fourth out of the fifth meetings i guess you'd say so this is in my opinion the best chance for an accompanying best picture nod okay right the the other oscar nom is film editing so let's let's see if we can learn and grow as as pundits here right because one of the big uh revelations i guess you can call it from last year was us talking about the edit film editing category and us going huh all of these nominees seem to be from stories that we gave a lot of credit to and we really liked no matter how maybe mundane the premise thought or looked originally how exciting and tension-filled the uh the stories ended up being maybe that's where the academy is giving credit in is editing and if that's the case, then yeah, I absolutely think that this would fall right in line with that, right? Because last year we had everything everywhere, the Banshees of Inisherin, Elvis, Tar, and Top Gun Maverick. Yeah. And we all we liked all five of those stories a lot. And where we give credit to stories, I remember us thinking, well, wait a minute, maybe we should be giving credit to editing. And if we, that's the case, I would think that's where this slots in perfectly. I agree with you. We've talked about editing, screenplay, director. These are composition categories. Mm-hmm. Where do you give the credit? You know, they they, they right. blend together. And, right. you know, for years we've talked about them as composition categories. That's been my term. But, I mean, you, you, you've you talked about them the same way. And, and we've disagreed in the past. Like, oh, Jordan Peele should direct or screenplay. And, you know, it's, it's half dozen or six or whatever the saying is there. Now, this movie is – there's a pronounced emphasis on the editing because so often – it's two guys in a room talking, right? Yeah. I mean, it's guys going in and out of offices like we were promised in the trailer. It's, it's chit-chat. A movie. It's a chit-chat. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a not chit-chat a, movie. It's not a sports movie. It's Mm-mm. a business storyline. No, it's not and a sports save, movie at all. Save the, save the Cat would call it an institutionalized script that I'll get into in, in spoilers. And there are formulas really used well in this movie. Like, you get threes of each conflict three scenes of each conflict i would say and, and on the micro level there are three scenes of matt damon at 7-eleven mm-hmm. on the macro level there are three collisions of ideologies between sonny vaccaro matt damon's character and phil knight uh ben affleck's character about how they built this company in the old nike days and all their you know all their big uh big ideas on how yeah, the whole the that, that corporation takes on a person uh, on the entrepreneurial spirit yeah Three scenes with Dolores Jordan, Viola Davis's character. Three scenes, big ones, with David Falk, the Chris Messina agent. Hey, uh, nominate Chris Messina. (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah, we're about to get into performances right now. I totally agree with you. He was my favorite on Rewatch. He was great, yeah. The writing is just really fundamentally sound. So I would say I'm very bullish on original screenplay as well. Uh, Original, you think? 
Is this not adapted from it? Like, I don't know. Like, that's another question I have. Like, where does the line come from this? Because this is clearly adapted from real life. Well, it's it's wild because there are books about this. There's right. the 30 for 30 documentary. Yep. He's Vicaro's biography. Yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff where this could be said to be adapted from. But it's 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 not like an adaptation specifically, is it? I, I'm not sure. I don't know. It's not a question I expected you to answer, but that's why I'm bringing it up. Like, this could be a case. It would not surprise me to see... That We've change. only had this a couple times, but yeah, the yeah. change between award shows, like it's adapted in one show and then original in a different one. Right. I, I could, I could see that happening too. I mean, if they, if the, if the, if the screenwriter admits as much or whatever, mm-hmm. but, uh, I, we don't know the lay of the land quite yet. We didn't, uh, you know, we didn't do our predictions for adapted or original. What's going to be more competitive. At I'll least nominate on it on both. <laughs> right there you go no but it's the screenplay chops are there like yeah. this is a really well composed film and for 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 that praise you gotta bring in director into the into the yep. equation there so all three of the composition categories are in play director editing and original screenplay now i think the success or failure of this movie as an oscars player is still most likely traditionally tied to the, the rest. Like you need, you need the, you need an actor to get nominated here. So does Viola Davis strike you as a best supporting actress? Does Chris Messina strike you as a best supporting actor? Matt Damon, uh, Affleck, Bateman. You're, you're, yeah, you're going to be maybe surprised by my answer. Like I would love to see Chris, maybe Chris Messina if it's the Academy of Mike one. I mean, I'm a sucker for those types of performances, obviously. It goes back to Babylon last year. I mean, those types of characters, the P.J. Byrne characters who just steal scenes and are just the, you know... If you could lose your shit on film (laughs) and it fits within the story, I'm I'm there with you. I mean, it goes back to Toni Collette for Hereditary, right? In a different way, she lost her shit. So I'm a sucker for those. I don't think they ever get nominated, though. If you can hit the high notes, sing loud. Right. But yeah, you're stealing scenes with a wrecking ball right. the size of a fast X. And maybe right? maybe it's because they are to one note. Maybe the Academy's, even though I don't think they are. But Here's I mean, the thing knows? about Messina, though. There is so much poise, and he breaks up all the rage. All of the Ari Gold, Jeremy Piven tell-off stuff, he breaks it up. With this, oh my God, I got to keep my stuff together because if he actually lands this deal, we're gonna be, we're gonna be tied at the hip. Well, it's and, fake and rage. I mean, yeah. it, it, to him, it doesn't matter what he's like. They're just words because but he'll you, be if, yelling at Damon one minute and the next minute he's just talking to. Him, I'll be your best friend. Like I was <laughs> dying last night rewatching that scene. I I thought it was the the funniest performance. Yeah. I've very good in a while, but it's also very nuanced. It is. I agree. I think all those performances are. I agree with you 100 percent. But again, they rarely ever get nominated for whatever reason. Uh, So if I were to tie myself to one performance, I don't think it would be by. I think it would be Jason Bateman's. I mean, he's got a big speech. He's He's the humanity. And by the way, uh, your boy from the Fablemans there, (laughs) your your, uh, Judd Hirsch love. That is how you do the emotional speech and the, the conscious of the movie speech. Uh, I I also agree with you. However, <laughs> how dare you? Uh, I was thinking but... that the entire time through Bateman's speech. I was like, "This is how you do it." But he just he didn't just swoop in for one scene. Obviously, Jason Bateman's no. in in the whole movie. Yeah, but that's who I, I mean. If you're asking me, gun to my head, who I think yeah. has the best chops? I don't think it's Damon. 
Damon doesn't. I mean, there's not. We've seen a lot more from Matt Damon in a lot of ways. Maybe he's, Affleck. He has yeah. to fight that freaking wig the entire time, which I could not keep <laughs> my eyes off of. I mean, could we get a prosthetic on the freaking guy? Maybe if we're gonna have that ridiculous wig staring at me the whole time, it can't just be ridiculous wig with Ben Affleck's face staring at me. <laughs> I'm really impressed with Damon and Affleck because they're very giving in their performances. Yes. They're allowing. They're allowing the other people in the scenes to win the scenes and they're setting them up they're assist men here they're point guards they're there are they're the straight men in most scenes which which is really cool to watch and we've heard a lot of actors talk about that they're very giving in their reactions but there's their performance or sub performances are subdued which is which is fine but they're servicing the story with kind of level-headed business guy you know businessmen performances of the 1980s so they're not over the top at all so i I was and it's fun to see them go head to head in those scenes right but i was surprised in a sense like like these are not perform this is not a performance vehicle for your principal characters i think air ultimately has to have a supporting character get nominated i agree of the day i agree with that who who that is is a question i would say davis and messina are my top two Um, i'm fascinated by you saying bateman do you think affleck has a has a chance there I can't do a whole award season with that wig. I mean, that wig was offensively bad. It was cartoonish. And and otherwise, I thought the ensemble was terrific. Marlon Wayans has a great scene. Even Jay Moore in the Adidas room. Yeah. But it's more than that. The whole Adidas room was great. The whole Converse room was great. Matthew Mayer is just grown on me over the years. And by the way, one of his first big roles, Mike, Five episodes on John from Cincinnati. Ah, it all comes full circle. We should just rename our podcast, the John from Cincinnati podcast. <laughs> Julius Tenen playing James Jordan is the actual husband of Viola Davis, by the way. And oh, I didn't know that. That's cool. You know, he's a longtime actor, a longtime producer. And, and yeah, he, he I was going to bring that up too. be like, well, they, they do have natural husband and wife energy there where he's just so deferential to her. Like, I'll be here if you need me. <laughs> Well, not he's not he's not uh he's played that role that before <laughs> yes sir uh in terms of the production values like cinematography is good and i remember noticing some shots i'm like wow this camera's moving like crazy this is a scorsese film i love it they must be on a crane how are they on a crane in an office i love the i love the cinematography and then here you here you go it's robert richardson uh three-time oscar winner hugo a the aviator jfk once upon a time in hollywood also nominated for four other Tarantino films, three other Oliver Stone films. Of course, it's Robert Richardson. All right. I'm glad you, you got your, I mean, there are great production values in this. Cinematography is really good, even though I don't think it's Oscar level, but it is very interesting what they do with the camera, considering it's an office picture. Mm-hmm. The production design, I don't know. I mean, boy, that sure looks like an office to me. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know. <laughs> None of these are going to win Oscars, right? right? All I right. mean, that's a, let, let me, that's a point. You brought up Scorsese. You brought up Tarantino. Did Ben Affleck just watch every Scorsese and Tarantino movie before going into production for this and Mm. say, you know what they didn't do was use enough contemporary songs of the time. So I'm going to put in even more (laughs) like shameless every scene. I'm not kidding. I was counting for him. Every scene cut, every switch between scenes. There was an 80 song playing until like the very end of the movie. 
that the score finally kicked in. Gosh, but between, darn it, in the in this movie, every so- time there was a scene to scene transition, you were not met with a character, you were not met with a uh, background noise, you were not met with any. It was an eighty song playing. How much do you love it though? I, I mean, they Vi- were good, but Jesus Christ! Violent Femmes, Mike and the Mechanics. Run DMC, Big Country, Squeeze, <laughs> Sydney Lauper, Daz Band, uh, Grandmaster Flash, George Clinton, Ario Speedwagon, Wagon, uh, The Alan Parsons Pro- Project, Rufus and Shaka Khan, Billy Squire. You're a hundred percent right. I wrote them all down. Night Ranger, I loved man. Night Ranger. I love this friggin' soundtrack so much, and it starts <laughs> off with Dire Straits, the edited version. Thankfully. So good. That's a bad, oh. that song should start every movie. I agree with that. As long as it's edited, I don't want to hear the nastiness in that song. But obviously, it's it's self referential. <laughs> you know, yeah. Also, came out at a totally different time period where things different were acceptable. Yeah. Right, right. But that song is a killer opening. Yeah. Holy God. We used. To, I don't know if movie. I've told this story before, but like coming home from high school baseball, mm-hmm. I had a, a, one of my best friends used to drive me home every day. Yeah. And there's a big hill right before you get to my house if you're coming a certain way. And uh, he would stop. We would be coming home at like eight, nine o'clock at night. He would stop at the st- at the top of that hill, and it's like this old, beat up, nineteen nineties whatever car. <laughs> and he would rev the engine, and he would crank up that song "Money for Nothing" by Dire Straits. And as soon as the electric <laughs> guitar part, he would always squeal and go racing down the hill to That's see how funny. fast he can get it before he had to stop at the stop sign at the bottom. We did that every oh day God. coming home from baseball. <laughs> you are idiots. <laughs> yes, but <true>. yeah, it's <laughs> funny. <laughs> Oh, it was a different time, but I, I gotta say, like the music in this movie was great, and and the person sitting next to me last night, this woman was bopping her. T- I mean, she kept touching me. Like I don't know if she wanted to. She, kept, she wanted to she dance, dancing with all the music, and uh, yeah, she was she was enjoying it. And what, what's the best just, song? Ah, what's the best song? Take, well, take the, the money wh- for nothing song out of it because I think that's un- unfair. That electric well, guitar my, is too heavy to start. My a movie. favorite song is "Squeeze Tempted." That's been a, like one. Really? Like if I made one playlist for myself for the rest of my life, "Tempted by the Fruit of the Never," the "Squeeze" song is my favorite. That's wow, that's I would true. not have that's, expected that's that. True story. Okay. It, yeah, but that goes back to college, and we used to pretend like we were singing. Uh, you know, like a microphone, but we used a spoon. Of course. And, and we didn't care. Of course. We didn't care because we felt no pain mm-hmm. at that part of the I'm going to live forever. <laughs> <laughs> and that was a go-to song to sing, I think. Yeah. Nice. I would not. That's that's. I learned something about you today. I would not have expected that answer. I'm glad. I'm happy to hear that. That's my honest answer. What did I bop my feet to the most, though? It might be Daz Band's "Let It Whip." I I, I don't remember. There was a transition down to the to the shoe design department. Mm-hmm. That whatever that song was, I wasn't super familiar with it. Whatever it was, was so good. <laughs> okay, I, I don't remember it, what it is either. But all right, yeah. It was so good. So no I, love yeah. for Sister Christian by Night Ranger, huh? You're big country. That's a good one. Big country going on a road trip to the Jordans mm-hmm. in a big country there. That mm-hmm. song kind of is goofy, but just, it's good. A good hook. Good hook to start it out. They are good. Some- like they're they're very good. They're all bops, and it was a great selection. But this was like Ben Affleck, like was Shameless. like you know what Scorsese and Tarantino need to do is combine <laughs> how much music is in their movies <laughs> oh shameless shameless yeah. he was just 
pandering to all mm-hmm. of us, but do we really care? In a weekend <laughs> of getting pandered to from Super Mario Brothers, which I enjoyed yeah, good point. as well. I'm a good sick point. man. I loved it. Uh, I love the experience. I can't help it. I, lo- I had two good movies this week, and then never mind my trip to New York City that I'll talk about on the next Oscar yeah. checkpoint. But yeah, man, this is... We are getting we are getting what we want. Uh, in terms of the Oscar lens, to wrap things up, what kind of over under would you put on it? If if the if the production values are kind of out beyond editing, and and before everybody says like the punditry thing is to say, well, if it's not getting any production values, it's got to win all the big categories or get nominated for all the big categories. Listen, last year we had Triangle of Sadness with. Picture, director, screenplay. Last year we had women talking with picture, screenplay. Like, this is a, a much more possible thing with the hard 10. And it's accessible. And it's about Michael Jordan, who's a universally known entity. And it's not a mm-hmm. biopic necessarily, even though I guess maybe it kind of is. <sighs> it's, it's just, this is tough. I, I feel like my this... t- the toughest part for me is like, what is? how are you going to treat the finances of this movie? Like, is this going to be a flop? If it's a flop, it probably doesn't get nominated much at all. But if it's and not a flop because they take the consideration of streaming into it, then if yeah. If you're in Vegas, you would be wise to make the over-under like 0.5. Like, this movie's either going to get three nominations or right. it's going to get none. Right. That's how I... I mean, maybe 1.5, just in case you think it's like a editing okay. and nothing else, like an out-of-sight 1. play. 1.5. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. 1.5 would be wise. But nobody's doing that, so. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I could, look, I, I mean, it's silly to say even at this point, but like right now, yeah, it's at least four noms for me, probably. Minimum. Good. So who's getting that? So, all right, so what are your noms now? This is picture. editing, screenplay, director, yeah, editing, picture. editing, editing, screenplay, picture. Probably director. I can talk myself into one of the support. I don't know that it gets any acting noms, to be honest with you. I think you got to kind of talk yourself into an acting nom. At this point, based, okay. at least, I mean, I don't and you don't, but based on the what we've seen from the Academy in recent years, I think they would have to do some talking themselves into an acting nom. To me, Davis and Messina are close. Maybe maybe another rewatch would cinch that for me, but I was so much more impressed with them. I'll tell you, if, if Mas- I mean, Davis, you know, Viola Davis could fart and she should be Oscar worthy. So that's <laughs> that's fine. I don't care if that, she, you know, that's that's great. That would be something. And I'd still see it. I'd still pay the money to go into a theater and watch that fart. Um, if Messina, if Messina gets nominated, if Mike Messina, a pitcher for the Yankees in the 2000s, if Messina gets nominated, that to me will be a sign for, a, for another sign. We've already had a bunch of signs, everything, everywhere, be, doing what it did, being the biggest one yet. But that will be another sign of the changing academy. Because, again, that performance rarely ever gets nominated for, to me. I will love it. I will me too. absolutely absolutely. It. I, I think it's there. I think the performance is there. The, the other question I would have for you, SAG Ensemble. Air, SAG Ensemble. Why not? Can you see that in the future? I think it's going to come... Well, I was going to say, I think it would come down to how seriously it's taken as a best picture threat, but I mean, we just saw Babylon get it. Yeah. The best picture threat factor doesn't necessarily have to factor in with SAG. So why not? I mean, if you're that happy with... That's the other thing about this, too. This could be a huge guild player, which could propel it on its own to a best picture relevancy. Like, this could be seeing how, I mean, the DJ has already given love to Affleck. Affleck's already got that thing where he was snubbed at the Oscars as a director. Maybe that plays into a narrative. Like, this could be a huge guild thing. Right. I can finally, see that. Finally, the question, I hate to end on a sour note because we, we say watch this movie. But, sure. of course, this is a movie about, you know, giant corporate 
greed in a way. It's also a movie about kind of yada yaing. I mean, J- Jason Bateman has a speech, but it's not addressing the sweatshops and the business practice practices of Nike over all those years and what they've been accused of. Are as you a trying to tell me? <laughs> Is there blowback here? <laughs> that is conglomeration there... <laughs> and corporate overlords of America aren't so ethically sound? Is that what you're trying to tell me right now? I'm shocked. No, is I there mean, backlash? I, look, yes, insofar as there will always be backlash about any type of glorification of giant corporations and conglomerates right now. I, I think, sure. But, I, I mean, it's not going to be any type of blowback. I mean, Matt Damon starred in a movie called The Great Wall. And got away with it. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's sad to say, but like that, it it's a thing that happened in our history. <laughs> like, did, I don't think it it's going to affect anything if there is any type of blowback with this movie. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. E- even like some Twitter discourse has been volatile. So it always is. A, but Twitter's not real life. We know that. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, or am I am I crazy here? You think it'll have? It'll think you think it'll have substantial blowback? I just wonder if it's a crowded race, people are looking for reasons to disqualify a movie. That could be the obvious reason here. Right? Sure. I mean, it, sure. You know. You're not wrong. Yeah. I mean, it, there, yeah. there's certainly, look, if you want to make a big deal about something with this movie, there's Nike is a, as big a target as anything. Mm hmm. And, and that, that probably goes for at least, you know, rumored, rumors about the people involved, too, like the real life people. You know, you mentioned before and somebody said it. I forget which podcast now, but like Sonny Vaccaro, he's been under fire in recent years about something or other. I don't know. Yeah, uh, Nike, was, uh, Vaccaro, allegedly. I mean, there's there's as far as ethical concerns, they're they're littered with this movie. I think if those are brought up in press interviews, all you're going to hear is that this was the movie about Michael Jordan and the American dream and one guy's optimism and hope and tying his career to it and all that rhetoric. Yeah. yeah. And it is. That's what the movie's about. Yeah. They're not wrong in that sense. And they made a, a gosh darn watchable film. Holy shit. Go mm-hmm. watch this one. Sure. Let's mm-hmm. spoil it. Spoilers ahead. This is a spoiler. Warning. I feel like I'm just a man made of gas. I think so. Did you watch SNL this week? <laughs> no, I missed it. Was it good? Molly Shannon? There was. There's one scene where they're throwing Molly Shannon a uh, a pregnancy, you know, send off party at work. Okay. And she's like accepting her gifts and stuff, and she's she she has this big inflated stomach, and she bends over to take one gift, and there's just this loud prolonged fart, and you see her <laughs> stomach deflate, and she's like, "Oh no, not again! It wasn't a I wasn't pregnant at all. It was just a fart." <laughs> <laughs> That's good. And this Andrew Dismukes is like, "What do you mean not again? How many times has this happened to you?" And she holds up four fingers, <laughs> four times. <laughs> Uh, anyway, I like comedy too. <laughs> <clears throat> this is the spoiler section for the movie Air, brought to you by Amazon Studios. Uh, this episode brought to you by Mike, Mike, and Oscar. The Oscars profile review of the movie Air. If you've not seen the movie yet, this is a good place to hit pause on us. Go check it out at your local theater. Uh, if you've seen the movie already, if you're just curious to hear our thoughts, this is where you want to be. We'll go all through the ins and outs of the plots and spoil it all. Air. The Oscars profile review brought to you by Mike, Mike, and Oscar, Michael. So, yeah, during the break, you told us, you told me the story about the Molly. I wonder if you should leave that in, is my point. The Molly. Because that would be the Molly. funniest. Well, I mean, look, 
No, I'm not going to leave that in because it spoils the whole bit. But go watch the Molly Shannon sketch from this past week's SNL where she's having a pregnancy shower thrown. Through. I don't know, Mike. I had, it's dumb I had a comedy. Few, I've had a few feelings in this game. <laughs> It might be a feeling. I, I have a feeling you should leave that. Okay, that that's funny. the. I'm glad. You, that's the biggest negative I have with this entire movie. Like we're really uh-huh. risking everything on this guy. If this guy comes to you in corporate America today and it's like yeah. I'm, ta- I'm putting my career down, I'll put everything on the line. I have a feeling about this 18 year old kid. You're like, okay, you're fired. One, two, you're probably a pedophile. Three, get out of my office. <laughs> like, well, nobody's be believing honest. him. Sonny Vaccaro's done a lot of interviews. I broke down one of these interviews for, uh, I didn't even know this is a website, but footwearnews.com. Okay. And the, the interviewer was Peter Vary. All right. And Peter Vary, he got a very frank interview from Vaccaro. And Vaccaro mentioned that, like, the Dolores Jordan stuff, totally real. The Falk things, absolutely true. Vaccaro admitted to the gambling problems throughout his life, said he's very glad they showed all that. The big speech at the meeting, very true. Uh, but it was, I mean, the, the the twist on that is it was coordinated. They coordinated and choreographed the fact that he paused the video and then delivered this great speech. Oh, that's speech. great. They should have Isn't included that. Great? that. But however, however, there were some things that were false. And one of the big things is Sonny Vaccaro's like, listen, I brought 50 teams to Nike, college basketball teams, to wear, you know, sponsorships. That was my freaking job, bringing college basketball she college basketball teams to wear Nike shoes. Right. That was the main tenant of his job and then of course, yeah, of course he was trying to land college players out of that, but his he was never putting his career on the line in that instance. It was absurd. Well, it's and, unbelievable. And- like it's it's the biggest problem I and I understand it it plays well for cin- cinema but like yeah. it it was too much for me to to buy in that's what keeps this from being an A movie to me it's just like come on of course this didn't happen they also <laughs> said his home life was completely miscast because he had just gotten married at the time he was not divorced <laughs> having risked his career so he would not have risked his career with a new wife at home is what he said <laughs> whoops <laughs> Anyway, um, Jordan was also not an epiphany in one night home at lonely eating a TV dinner. You know, he had he had traveled. He said, quote unquote, I traveled the world with Michael Jordan, apparently to the Olympics and whatnot. I mean, he's ever since Jordan hit the shot against Georgetown, Michael Jordan and Sonny Vaccaro had a very close relationship all those years. And Sonny Vaccaro was trying to recruit him to Nike for all those years in college. So I also don't a- think that epiphany moment played well cinematically either. Like they try to make it as this big, oh my God, breakthrough for Matt Damon, Sonny Vaccaro. Look at how they- calm and cool Michael Jordan is. He knows he's going to get the shot. Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah, man. I mean, or he just didn't care if it went in or not. <laughs> they, uh, they, they made the best of that scene. I thought, like, I get if you're going to have to rationalize an epiphany moment. That makes some sense. But this this kid was on there. He, number one, he's ranked number three in the damn draft. Everybody knew he was great, even though maybe they didn't know he was the greatest ever. Obviously, they didn't because two guys got drafted ahead of him. But they knew. I mean, he hit the, the game-winning shot. Of course he did. They knew he was awesome. And he was on the Olympic team tearing it up. Right. Right. I mean, the... there there's some overselling of this that, like, toes the line with me because, on the one hand, it's too much to be believable. 
On the yeah. other hand, it's talking about Michael Jordan, so maybe it is all believable. But like, even at the end, when Viola Davis is asking for a percentage of each shoe in the final conversation with uh, Matt Damon's Sonny character, you know, she's talking about this. My son's gonna do this, and he's gonna he's she's gonna win. He's gonna win Defensive Player of the Year and MVP and NBA titles and MVP. It's like, yeah, maybe you did have that much belief in your son, but at the same time, if I'm a installed shoe exec who's mm-hmm. hearing all this stuff who's been around multiple players for however many years. And I'm not going to be swayed by those comments. I'm going to think this is a mother who believes in her son and that's it. Right. But you know, that the whole thing about this was that he believed the same thing. So she was just kind of, which is crazy. Like you no, he didn't. (laughs) You did not believe you were on the verge of the greatest player of all time. No, they did break the business for him and they did agree to the broken business terms for him. I wonder how much of that, mattered too because again we're talking i mean and they did do a good good job of bringing this up in the movie at least we're talking about nike which was uh, however many million dollars of revenue needing to go to like what half a million to expand their basketball on on a gamble basically so it didn't really like it wasn't putting nike necessarily at much business risk it sounds like nike well they were they were negotiating against upfront money versus the you know the the piece of the pie mm-hmm. and Falk wanted Falk actually wanted according to Vaccaro today Falk wanted half a million upfront 10% of the sales but the deal that they struck was 250k and 20% of the sales so that worked out for Michael that worked out for Michael in a big way but it's it's wild how I, I don't know it's in a way, it makes some sense, and they, they again they made it digestible in, in film form, in story form. So that that's the important thing at the end of the right. day. I agree with that. I agree with all of that. And they made it progress, you know, in a three act structure and fit it all. They, they, they had to embellish, you know, kind of a, a lot of the film night Sonny Vaccaro tension. I would, I think that was the biggest thing I I got from like this interview, and then. Sonny Vaccaro also mentioned like he had nothing to do with the design of the shoe whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> like the Peter uh, and the Rob characters, the Bateman and the Mayor characters, they did all that. <laughs> so. I also was was I mean again this is just how my mind works. But sitting through the movie and you know Phil Knight is agonizing over giving this two hundred fifty thousand dollar down payment to get this guy in, which is their entire budget for their entire basketball division at Nike back in the early eighties, and. Mm-hmm. Matt Damon thinks he's it's just going to be okay to drop that. Oh yeah, we'll pay the $5,000 a game fine for you. Don't worry about that. And in my head I'm thinking 5k times Yeah, that's that's 400 grand. <laughs> <laughs> that's almost double what the budget is anyway on top of and you're not going to bring that up at any point and when it it is brought up in front of Phil Knight, he's just going to swallow it like that. Like, come on. All right. Whatever. It's a movie. That was Movies are not real life, people. I keep telling you this. This is not real life. <laughs> I, I do give them credit for the, the story structure, though, and it really does work out. And it fits this old rubric, right, of this, quote unquote, save the cat institutionalized storyline where you have a movie about uh, a group, right, a family, an organization or a business that is unique and save the cat terms. And of course you got Nike and the basketball shoe business. Uh, you got a story about a choice. Like this is an ongoing conflict, uh, pitting like some Marlon Brando versus the system, uh, Marlon Brando versus the company man. And you actually got a three headed company man here. It's Bateman and it's Messina and it's Affleck. Mm-hmm. And that's great. And then ultimately 
you can have one of three endings in a screenplay like this. You can join together, you could burn it down, or you could, you know, self-destruct. And there's a sacrifice that must be made to basically to negotiate the deal. And in a way, it's like between, it's almost a fourth option. It's like a between joining together and a burn it down, but they burned down their business practice for Michael Jordan. And that, to me, that, that was in fact fascinating. And to hear that that was very true at the end of the day is even, even, it's even more worthwhile, yeah. I would say. Yeah. I, I think that's, well, first of all, it's a great screenwriting lesson that you just kind of uh, went through there very quickly. But yeah, I mean, the, the story structure of this works. And again, I go back to, I wonder how much of that is screenplay. I wonder how much of that is directing and how I wonder how much of that is editing at the end of the day. I, uh, I think all three are pretty strong. Yeah. I did want to ask you about the ending. Like, well, let's talk about the penultimate scene, the big pitch meeting. To me, that was the cringiest scene ever. It turns out being great. I cannot believe it is true. The fact that it was orchestrated and choreographed, you're right, might be even better if they actually wrote that in. But the fact that this is a nightmare that becomes the big moment for Matt Damon's character, I loved it. I I loved how they had to kind of bring you back to oh no this is not gonna work at all because we all know the result right so if they just have a great pitch meeting it's not good right but the fact that bateman and tucker and dear god affleck they're each a nervous wreck in that scene really made it for me affleck was the best i thought in that scene <laughs> coming in you mean like hey let me uh let me cut you off there phil well let me cut you off first and let me tell you how important <laughs> i am and how important my time is like just really the, the stuff they talked about being subtle in the meeting before the meeting <laughs> Yeah. Affleck just comes out and says right out there and like really hammers it on the nose there. It's it, it brings comedy. But yeah, I, I, it was a obviously the, you know, the most important scene in terms of the uh, the closing of Michael Jordan. But they yeah, it's, it, it's though, purposely it's, it's purposely cringy, I think. They seeded it. It's it's really just four guys that got no sleep over the whole weekend right. trying to pick. You know, so it makes total sense. I mean, these guys' lives are falling apart. It makes sense that they would have a terrible meeting until the one guy saves it with a huge movie speech. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, it was a really that. good speech. What did you think about not showing Michael at all? Which I know Ben Affleck shares thoughts on, but I want, I'm curious how it played for you. Especially after the success of The Last Dance. I'm glad that's what they did. How could you, right? I mean, who are you going to cast to play that kind of role for Michael Jordan, of all people? Look, if you cast the perfect actor and he was available and the next Marlon Brando, who's also six foot four, six foot six, was available, (laughs) of course, anybody could play anybody if if that right actor was available. However, if you cast the wrong person... And it and it and everybody like is looking at this. That's not Michael. Come on, this right. is bullshit. Like, you would totally lose a lot of gravitas. The fact that you just show his silhouette from the back, and this uh, this actor looked like him, and then you of course intercut these montages, which I loved. Yeah. Of the actual Michael Jordan, and you saw his career arc, and you saw all the highs and lows in the you know through that speech with all the documentary footage. Holy cow! Yeah. Yeah, I, I I agree with you. I'm, I think it was a good choice to not. Uh, and Affleck said said as much too. He's like he's, he's bigger than anything. I mean, Michael Jordan is like you know this universally known entity. How are you gonna put that on somebody to portray yeah. when he's not even the main character of his own movie in a way? You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. They're they're seven to ten years older than us, but so they were like teenagers. When we were young, you know, preteens. Right. When when Jordan was doing his thing. 
but they they you know they lived through this even more than us and you're right that there was Jordan was the idol of the time right and the fact that this movie is more about like his mom and the mom being the hero of the story Viola Davis's character of Dolores getting the hammer was Brilliant. I loved it. The fact that she got the big speech over the phone and what a badass doing the dishes and then boom, delivering that speech. This was something that was so necessary. I thought it must be a clerical error. That was a great setup by her being like, oh, you forgot to put in that my son gets a percentage of every shoe that you sell. (laughs) To tie that in, to tie that in with the uh, Falk stuff, like this is also Falk's revenge even yeah. though she's handling it for Falk. Mm-hmm. I love that, too. He was taking credit for it at the end. He's got a literal knife, looks like from Crocodile Dundee, <laughs> in the office that he's swinging during the phone call. He's like, you don't know when someone's really going to stab you. <laughs> I love that so much. What a lunatic. That Messina, I mean, I not to take away from Viola Davis, she she was great. I'm glad she did have the agency because if you know anything about Michael Jordan, I mean, it's the reverence for his parents are such a big role. His father's yeah. murder had such a big impact on his life, oh and then God. it was all about his mother. You know, he, he talks about in glowing tones about his mother anytime he talks about her. So, like, that's totally believable that she was the matriarch of those decisions, and kind of, I think it was cool that they centered the movie around Vicaro trying to reach Dolores versus trying to reach Michael because that's Mike God I have always looked at Michael Jordan as literally having the eye of the tiger mm-hmm. like if you look at tigers in the wild they have the same eyes yeah it's, it's like a, a lion it's a tiger it's just a kill yeah it, 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 unbelievable I'm not gonna beat and, you I'm going to destroy you yeah and Michael doesn't take after his father in that instance michael's (laughs) mother has the same eyes and you absolutely know uh, you know who's running that family and you know based on the fact that she's still what does she got to be in her 80s she's still running three charities yeah that's amazing i mean she is she is an amazing amazing figure and so viola is probably the perfect person and i i mean look again i if you want to talk apples to apples and performances, what Viola Davis does in terms of being the woman king is way more as an actor than what she does in terms of being yes. Dolores Jordan. But I could also see a very easy narrative formed around the real Dolores Jordan and the power she holds and Viola Davis and the power she always brings to every role and holds in Hollywood in general. I mean, it's an easy narrative to see how she could be nominated for this role. There's a lot more nuance to Viola's performance that at first glance I remember coming out of the first watch and I'm like ah it's probably not getting nominated there like there's no performance to me that's getting nominated coming away from the last viewing though I'm like Messina does some he does some wild stuff but Messina he's he's Alec Baldwin and Glenn Gary Glenn Ross he's Ryan Gosling in the big short he's uh, you know PJ Byrne like we just talked about in Babylon he's that guy he's the scene because he's not in very many scenes he's in like what three yeah and he's not he's not Jeremy Piven from Entourage. He's not eviscerating someone with the reddest face in the world. We've seen that you're never going to work in this town again speech from a hundred different mm-hmm. projects, right? We've seen that done time and again. This guy's doing it with a smile and a poise. And the fact that he's vacillating back to the to the chummy stuff is, is even more delightful because he's making you laugh. You you understand that that he's very real in what he's saying in his threats and yet 
he's like, if you pull this off, we're going to be best friends, which is one of the best payoffs I've seen in a long it's time. Also it's also one of the life. best scenes. I mean, from what I've heard about the 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 real life agent of uh, David Falk there too. I mean, it's really? know, he was yeah. I mean, him and Michael Jordan were like t- attached at the hip, and I think part of that was due to the fact that they both approach business with the same kind of killer instinct. But and and I will I will say this for the writing. To write scenes like that with a lot of cliches and a lot of exposition required. And to dance them gradually up to huge punchlines is very hard to do. I mean, just think about the Viola Davis. Like, you have Matt Damon basically trying to explain the shoe business to her, stumbling all over himself, mm-hmm. and she stays forward, and, and and her character has to deliver these lines, and you, you still have to get a negotiation scene out of it. Not easy to do, which, again, why this script is probably so strong I, I, I'm very impressed with that. I'm also very impressed when the, the script really goes over the top. Like all of those making of the shoe, the shoe designer scenes with Matthew Mayer, mm. like the the setups and punchlines punch are so clear. Like you had a seated joke from the first 20 minutes of the movie about the guy with the skateboard down there. And they're like, why are you right? Yes. They, they literally go down there and talk to Because <laughs> I'm to having Peter. a midlife crisis. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you riding your skateboard to work? Like that's great. And then the scene opens with him going former function, and 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 Matt Damon's like both, you know. And and then he slows down. He goes, "Humans have been wearing shoes for thousands of years, and the last time there was an innovation, I'm paraphrasing, we differentiated the right shoe from the left shoe, and that was 600 years ago." And then Matt Damon's like, oh, so so form then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that was just a hilarious punchline uh, written into the scene. So I, I'm just a huge, huge fan of this script in that regard. It kind of like this movie at the very floor should be a best screenplay nominee. I, so I think. So if you go that route, I, I would love to know because this was on the blacklist for so long, like you talked about and in previewing this movie during our year in preview series, I said how this was, you know, this was a script that uh, the 30 for 30 producer who turned out to be, I, I think, I cannot. Shoe dog are you talking about? I think so. I, I, mm-hmm. I But one of the, it was a 30 for 30 producer who ended up being one of the players in Skydance, I think, got his hands on this. I wonder how much of this was Convery's script because he has no credits on IMDb. I mean, this is his one lone credit versus Damon and Affleck getting their hands on it, even though Convery is the only credited writer. I'm sure Damon and Affleck polished. I'm sure they, they must have. Right. I mean, if not, <laughs> Alex Convery's a savant. <laughs> he right? might be a savant. I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't say that. But yeah, I mean, Ben Affleck, his, his hands are on. This. Right. We, we, I, I agree. We can tell. That. I agree with that. And it's it's it sounded at least in the research I did for the that preview episode. I mean, it sounds like, you know, this was on the, this languished for a bit and then Skydance gave it to Affleck and Damon and they did their work with it to get it finally made. So I would think they get a good deal of that. So I'm wondering if them not taking any writing credit for this is kind of doing like Convery. I, I don't know, maybe it is all ass Convery. I don't I'm talking out my ass here. So, I mean, maybe he is that good of a writer, but I do wonder like if Alex Convery is the only one on Oscars night accepting a golden statue for this movie, is that going to rub Damon and Affleck the wrong way, or are they going to be take credit for making a new, uh, you know, golden child in the screenwriting world? I don't know. I am going to be paying so close attention to this movie's trajectory. I really am because I, like we said, like the Taiwan sweatshops thing, 
of decades mm-hmm. past. That's a real worry. Like sure. this movie, this movie ad- half addresses it with the Bateman speech. And they you don't know, really go into Vicaro's dubious ethics as far. I mean, they, or at least they frame it all as a good thing. Like the son of Vicaro, he did go around to high schools and lavish gifts and, and shoes to different high school players. And it did go towards creating the, uh, the Nike basketball summit where you guys like this high school, all, you know, all American or pre all American all-star game that's framed as a good thing. And it was a good thing for Nike, but it was a very ethically dubious thing. According to NCAA standards, they did not like it. Sunday Vicaro was never held in good regard with the NCAA. He was always kind of a, uh, you know, a black sheep according to the NCAA and all their stringent right. rules. Well, and now, and he's, you know, against them in the NIL case from 2014, yeah, like which the they bring closing... up in the post credit scene. Yeah. Or in, at least the closing closing frames, yeah, yeah. So, look, I I would say in terms of worst scenes, there are some exposition dumps that are just baffling. Like the fact that Jason Bateman has to go around the room and talk about the the draft picks in that room, and you have such an elementary conversation about who's good and who's not in this draft is absurd to me. <laughs> <laughs> the the Chris Tucker scene, like I look, I get it. It's better than Michael Myers two psychologists talking in an elevator but chris tucker opening him and damon shooting around and chris tucker's gotta like in a jovial fashion describe the entire business to matt damon Mm -hmm. like the guy who's supposed to be in charge of the business (laughs) is nuts like oh why is converse so i mean you don't it's absurd but again i get it you have to you have to tell the audience Mm mm-hmm yeah, uh, I did. You know, they. You're right. They're there. They probably drag on too long. I I thought they kind of fit, but you know, whatever. I. On the flip side, I love the Seven Eleven. The in and out, uh, talking to the clerk, the shop clerk. That was a fun way to talk about how Michael Jordan's draft stock really was up and down at the time. Mm-hmm. Why he was. Which makes it be... even more lunacy that yeah. everyone was willing to listen to how this is going to be the greatest player ever. Because that's not reality. Like, if I were right now saying, not Wembenyama, because he's the clear number one, but, like, if I'm out here saying, look, look, Scoot Henderson, who's the number two draft prospect in the upcoming NBA draft, and I'm, I'm out here like, oh, listen, I've watched the NBA all my life. Scoot Henderson is going to win four finals MVPs. He's going to win three regular season MVPs. I'm nuts. Anyone who says that about any college player is nuts. They're not listened to. <laughs> well, you're you're right, and that's... I mean, that played out. Ultimately, that played out. And there was less information available back then, even with even with Jordan's stature. That being said, they knew Jordan was going to be a really good player. The fact that Adidas, Converse, and Nike all wanted him, yeah, yeah that was out there. So the fact that you didn't need an epiphany moment to know that Michael Jordan's really, really good. Like you could, anybody could reasonably project him as a future. All-star. I get you. I guess I'm, I'm saying, I wish that was the conversation though. Like bet yeah. your, bet your career that he's going to be a future all-star. And the fact that he became the greatest of all time was just icing on the cake. Well, yeah, I think the reasonable saying the reasonable landing point of that meeting would have been what they ultimately did. Like later that year, anyway, they went with Charles Barkley. <laughs> you know, right. I mean, Charles Barkley. They also wanted him, and he was another big signing of that you, year at night. I feel bad for Melvin Turpin. He took some stray bullets in this that he did <laughs> not deserve. Turpin <laughs> took some strays, man. But yeah, the fact that like, oh yeah, of course they wanted Barkley, Stockton, and Jordan. <laughs> 
most of all. Right. Of yeah. Oh, we only wanted the three most successful because we couldn't get Hakeem because he was number one. Right. But the other three Hall of Famers that were in this draft, yeah, we wanted them. From the they beginning. wanted. Yeah. I knew from yeah. the beginning. Exactly. It sounds it's like it's a little much. It's a little every much. GM again, but that's but, I, but as a basketball fan and as a sports fan, like should I be holding that against this movie? Probably not. But for me, that's what keeps it from being an A. And then, and then the nonsense about the the, the Patrick Ewing anecdote. It, I just keep coming back to it. I'm dying that kills inside you, huh? about it. <laughs> dying inside because, of course, of co- because I know it's my own guilt. I know <laughs> that I bought Air Jordans like once a year. I would get sneakers, right? Mm-hmm. Once a year, and it was a big deal. And I before school every year. Mm-hmm. Once a year, I'd get a new pair of sneakers before my first day of school, and I had to wear them to school. I couldn't like just work out in them <laughs> as a kid. So I get a brand new spec. And one year, my parents really splurged, and I got Air Jordans. And guess when I bu- I bought them over? I bought them over Patrick Ewing Reeboks. Good, <laughs> good. You did this to yourself. I hope I that was the same year feel... he dropped fifty five in the garden too on his comeback. Oh, I still feel guilty. <laughs> I still feel the worst. That was Michael Jordan, though. We all loved him, despite he, he terrorized us as Nick fans. Yeah, and it as was insane. As we learn more about him, we learn, oh, he's actually a lunatic. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, we got to grade this thing. It, it, it's going to get strong grades from us. I was a B plus eighty nine after my first watch last night. I wrote down A minus ninety. Oh wow, I'm you went up. It, I'm bumping it up. I, I think I have to, yeah. Yeah, I was 88 coming out of the theater. I'm still 87, 87, 88, strong B-plus all day for me. I mean, it's, like I said, I don't know if this is coming out last year. For me, we're talking about this in the same breath. We should be talking about something like Banshees or Elvis. I, I think it's I think it's better than Banshees, but did I, you have you had Elvis gra- Did you have Elvis graded higher than Banshees or lower? I had, I had Elvis, which grew on me for weird reasons. Same. But I had Elvis ahead of Banshees. But okay. they, like, I mean, the store, the screenplays aren't close. I mean, Banshees have got a great screenplay, so it's different things are higher than right, others. But right. the actual movie-going experience of Elvis. So, but if you're talking to me about ranking those three, I would say as movies, just overall movies. Yeah. Even though I'm not proud of it, Air, <laughs> Elvis, Banshees. Wow, wow. I think I'd have Banshees one, and this ahead of Elvis, but it's close. It's close with this and Banshees. I think if I rewatched both of them, I'd probably prefer Air. You're probably not wrong. I wonder how how this is going to play. Is this is this becoming a classic Air? Do you think this becomes like a classic to us? Well, you're even? you're higher. You you seem to give more deference to the possibility that this could be torn down as as like an anti Nike propaganda movement. Yeah, my my favorite films of the year. I mean, I I also always like these movies that have these controversies attached to them. Why? <laughs> it's just. Well, hey, both I mean, do. look, I mean, so does the Academy, by the way. Green Book. You know, we're a holes. We're a holes. We'll love a bo- like Babylon's got stuff, but I mean, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood had a whole Bruce Lee thing. Jeez, we were upset at Terry. I was no, we were both upset at Tarantino at the time for. You know, the Bruce Lee thing. Man. And just for talking shit about it. Just shut up about it. Just say, ugh, <laughs> still bothers me. I wanted to love that movie. And obviously there was another big Mar- Mar- uh, Manson thing. Yeah. Anyway. You know, the whole Manson thing. The whole fact that he murdered all those. But no. The, there was a big argument that we had about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. There's better movie than Parasite. As much as we liked them. <laughs>
I'm going to rewatch Parasite. I'm moving through Bong Joon-ho's I will filmography. never, ever. So bad. <laughs> I'm craving it. Like, I'm literally sa- I'm salivating to rewatch that movie. It's hurting. It's, like, every night, because I know i got to get through all of his other films before I get there. You don't, you don't want to rewatch. You could just put it on. <sighs> Doing them in order. Okay. I'm enjoying it. Okay, good. Guys, as always, what matters most to us? What did you think about Air? What do you think about our Oscars review here? What are your highs and lows? Do you think it'll be an Oscars player? And if so, in what categories? Or if not, where do you think it falls short versus what we said? You can leave us that as well as any other thoughts, comments, questions, or concerns you have about anything we do here in the MMO Empire on our social medias. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram at MM and Oscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We are available wherever you do hear podcasts. If you're listening to us on either the Apple Podcasts or Spotify app, if you appreciate what we do here, if you would not mind leaving us a five-star review, those help us out immensely. Thank you to everyone who has done so thus far. Uh, Michael, our year in preview series rolls on. Tell the good people about that coming next, and let's also have some words of wisdom to end on. Yeah, we're going to talk about the box office, and we're going to preview kind of the rest of the year's box office. We're going to talk a lot about the Oscars Best Picture box office pros and cons with a special guest eric weber we've been talking about that for a while hyping him up uh he usually comes on a couple times a year for us so midnight movie talk go check it out and certainly uh, that's on youtube by the way and certainly um you know i'm I'm looking forward to talking to him we're going to talk to swell top 10 feared films and you know if if something happens we'll eventually talk to these two so i don't feel bad about jinxing (laughs) them uh there's going to be a Cannes film festival lineup announcement i believe that's coming this week we'll probably cover it next week even though we'll refer to it maybe in our in, a, in, a, in an episode for next week or maybe the week after i don't know when we're, we'll do a can preview episode on an oscar race checkpoint when we start those again <laughs> what if we show up to can one year but we just go blind drunk blind drunk and just walk into french theaters yeah and like we just you know, walk just out c- and clapping. Walk. But if we're only clapping all the time, we we'll fit clap. in. We just clap through the movie. We, we're only here to break the applause <laughs> records. <laughs> just bloody stumps. <laughs> uh, we can't even we can't even cheer loud at that point. It's just a golf clap. <laughs> there was <laughs> technically a two and a half hour standing ovation because these two jackasses who had too much to drink, who were overserved, refused to sit down or leave during the movie. <laughs> but they they have to leave us in there because they need to set the record they have to set right. that record right right all right so it's wise to words of wisdom today it's wise to applaud at film festivals and then we go swimming in the canal with the canoes the gondolas <laughs> <laughs> A bunch of jackasses. Uh, guys. <laughs> I think you're confusing Venice. <laughs> I am. I absolutely am. I absolutely am. I think am. they have yachts. And, All and, I could and, think about was diving into one friends. of those canals. <laughs> <laughs> we just clap and we keep clapping until we just walk headfirst to the canals. <laughs> oh, we're getting weirdly dark That's here. how you get the people in, baby. <laughs> When reality sucks, you can clap in a canal with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. We will see you all very soon. See ya.